Greetings to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. We are today in Lesson 91. And last time we were in the uh, book of Acts, chapter 28 and verse 28. After we read of the last meeting that the Apostle Paul had with the Jewish community leaders, as he called all of them to him and he explained to them, since he hasn't been there before, he explained to them all about the magnification of the Torah and of the prophets and of the coming of their king, the king of Israel, and of the restoration of the kingdom to Israel and of the coming of the king of Israel, Jesus Christ, who is going to reign over all the house of Jacob and restore all the tribes of Israel to their land and be king over all the earth. In other words, through them, bring light to all nations of the earth. And at this point, uh, maybe not exactly at this point, but throughout the ministry of the Apostle Paul, and maybe even at this point still, all the apostles believed that Christ was coming in their day. So they had a sense of urgency at that time, and they believed that this is when it's going to happen. In either case, the Jewish community leaders came to him, listened, because they did not see, as I mentioned earlier, the last lesson, they did not see any difference between what he was teaching, generally speaking, and what the prophets or the law said, they just had a question about the interpretation of it. Is it exactly what it was meant to be? And that's where the difference came between the ones who followed the Messiah, the King of Israel, Jesus Christ, the God of Israel, and between those that did not recognize him as one. And once you don't recognize him as the king, then obviously, even though you believe the same things that those who believe in him do believe, Yet, because you do not recognize him as the king of Israel, you may think, well, that's not him, it's somebody else, and uh, obviously, I'm not going to follow him at that point. And all that has to do, ultimately speaking, with what the Father is doing. If he is calling them, if he is opening their eyes, then they will see it. At this point, he was not opening the eyes of all the Jewish leaders, all the peoples in the synagogue, but the ones that he did, responded. And so, some of them listened to the words of Paul, and were persuaded, which means they continued to go to the synagogue and believe in Christ at the same time, while others did not. And as long as they did not persecute one another, they could continue to go to the synagogue and worship God. And so, when he realized that many of them are not responding, he told them what the Holy Spirit said, and he's speaking about Jesus Christ when he appeared to the prophet Isaiah. You can read it in Isaiah chapter 6. And uh, it is made very plain and very clear who is that Holy Spirit. It's Jesus Christ himself, that is the God of Israel at the time. And he appeared to Isaiah and he told him those words which he quoted there, here to them from Isaiah 6 and verse 26. Go to this people and say, hearing you will hear and shall not understand and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes, they have closed. So it's not that he speaks to them and they are not capable of understanding it, but because they are not willing to hear it. They are not willing to be obedient. They are not willing to believe. That has to do with their willingness or unwillingness that determines whether they do know and understand what the prophets and Moses spoke about. And that's why Christ told his disciples and uh, the ones that even believed in him and followed him, but not all the way. You know, they still had some mental blocks here and there. He said, have you believed Moses? You would have believed me, because at a certain point, uh, they don't accept everything that he says, even though many other things they do. 
And so he said, because their hearts, the hearts of these people grown dull, and that's exactly what he told Isaiah at the time when God spoke to him, that he's the God of Israel, Jehovah, who is now appearing as Jesus Christ, anointed Savior of Israel and the whole earth. He's telling them that their ears are hard of hearing and their, ear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them or convert them or change them or open their eyes and make them understand and grant them repentance. In other words, he says, because they are not willing to, therefore I'm not doing it. But it does not mean that I'm rejecting them. It does not mean this is the end of the story. Because when you read the, the, the rest of the chapter, you find out. When Isaiah finds out, he's asking, well, how long? How long this condition is going to be with Israel? And God says, in essence, don't worry. It's only for a period of time until certain things happen. And I did, uh, you know, it's according to plan. And in essence, it's telling him until the end of time, the coming tribulation, when God is going to, in essence, uh, dump all of Israel into into the, this cauldron of, uh, of uh, hell on earth, you know, tribulation, destruction, all those things that are coming, and he's going to remove every speck of pride and arrogance and stubbornness from them. He's going to shake loose all the rebellion, and then he's going to bring them back to himself. And at this point, as we read some prophecies earlier, they're going to be repentant and acknowledge their sins and iniquities, and he's going to atone for their sins and heal them and cleanse them and purge them and purify them. That's the reason why he came 2,000 years ago. In order to purge and cleanse and purify his bride, his wife, his people, his church. And then also in the process, graft some others from the nations and join them with that commonwealth of Israel. That is his church, his people. It's not a separate one. It's not a separate church. It's few people that is grafting into the church, which is Israel, into the commonwealth of Israel, as the Apostle Paul would call it, at least in the English. Uh, he, uh, he used, uh, obviously, Hebrew terminology when he said that, or whatever Greek terminology he used. In other cases, what he's speaking about. And so, at this time, God is not uh, healing them because of their stubbornness of heart, but that doesn't mean that he rejected them. All that just a matter, okay, we're going to put you on the shelf, for a while, and then I'm going to go and bring some others, as Moses told them, as God told Moses to tell them, I'm going to bring some others to cause you to envy and come back to me. And that's in essence what was the purpose uh, for calling others of the nations, to cause them to envy, to cause his church, his wife, his people to envy and to come back to him. And ultimately, this is what's going to happen. But he's not replacing them with the Gentiles. He's not replacing them with an entity called the church made of all the nations of the earth. You know, this is a lie that had begun to be taught 2,000 years ago. And yet that's what the prophets made very plain. And that's what the apostles made very plain. God did not reject his people. He said, God forbid. He did not. All Israel are going to be saved. And you, just Gentiles, you're just being grafted as olive branches into, you know, the natural, with the natural branches, you know, into the, the trunk of the tree, which is Jesus Christ. And he says, don't boast about it. And we'll get to it later on. Anyway, at this point, this is what Paul tells them. But even the, here, it does not mean that that's it. That's the end of the road for you. Because it continued to, to speak to all those Jews that came, and many others that heard about it and were persuaded during those two years that he was in Rome, before his, uh, his death. 
And so in verse 28, he says to them, Therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the nations, and they will hear it. And some say, Aha, you see, here it is, reflection and theology. Well, that's not what Paul's talking about. He made it very plain throughout all, all the teachings that he gave to the Gentiles. That's not what he's talking about. At this point, he's saying to that congregation, to that group, as he said in other places, you don't listen, others are going to listen, and God is going to bring them to cause you to envy and come back to him. And verse 29, And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves, because some said, look, this is what Moses said, this is what the prophet said, and this is true. Others said, well, you know, this is what they said, but this it does not mean that Jesus Christ is the one that fulfilled it. And so they went back and forth. But none of them really disputed what the Moses said or the prophets, only the interpretation of it. And in verse 30 we read, Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, mainly Jews and also Gentiles, because the emphasis was still to the house of Israel. And that was his commission also. The commission that he was given by Jesus Christ when he was called was you go to the kings, to the Gentiles, and to the children of Israel. And to the end of his life, he continued to do it. And so he had even top leaders uh, in the Roman uh, emperor's uh, palaces. Many who believed. Some were servants. Some were not. And Gentiles that came to him that heard about it and children of Israel. And so it was again in these two years where the entirety of the commission war was again being fulfilled. You know, the three categories here were being called. And that's what he was doing here. What is it, what is it that he was preaching to them? Preaching, verse 31, the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? What is that kingdom that the disciples asked Jesus Christ about? And they said, Lord, the book of Acts chapter 1 and verse 6, Will you restore now the kingdom to Israel? That's the kingdom that he was preaching. Not the lie that later on came on the scene in the false church where they taught a false kingdom and then they claimed that the church is the kingdom and the church is not the kingdom. A kingdom means the rule. That's what kingdom in Hebrew means, rule. And from that comes a ruler, king, and rulership. And this is what he preached. It was the kingdom of God, where God rules. That's what kingdom of God means. When God rules, in other words, when he came down on Mount Sinai, married Israel, he said, I want you to build me a Mishkan. Mishkan means a dwelling place. And around it they erected the tent. And the, and the tent was called the tabernacle. But Mishkan means a dwelling place. He says, because I want to dwell in your midst. And so the kingdom of God was on earth. In other words, God was on earth. The God of Israel. That's what the kingdom of God means when he himself in person is on earth. And when people replace that with the church, claiming that the church is the kingdom, they're all mixed up. Now the, the church will become, uh, will be under that kingdom, a part of that kingdom. But they're not the kingdom. The kingdom is of God. The rule is of God. They're not the ones who are ruling instead of God. God is the one ruling, and he allows them to rule with him as co-rulers. Not replacing him. And so this is what he was teaching. The rule of God. When, when God, when Jesus Christ, when the king of Israel, when the rock about whom the prophets, Moses, all spoke that he's coming and of whom uh, the 
archangel Gabriel told Mary, He is going to come. You are going to call his name Jesus, that is the Savior, and he is going to rule on the house of, over the house of Jacob forever. And all the prophets made that very plan, and in detail they spoke about his kingdom, many details. And Ezekiel read many, many very intimate details about his intimate rulership among his people, Israel, Jacob, the house of Jacob, is going to be in Jerusalem. He's going to be sitting in that temple that is going to be erected in Zion in the portion of the priests. And they're going to serve him. And the prince of the nation of Israel is going to come every Sabbath and every new moon and every holiday is going to sit before him and commune with him and eat before him. This is the kingdom that Paul was teaching. Not the ethereal kingdom and all the lies that came with it that later on a false uh, counterfeit church began to preach to the whole world calling itself Christianity and, and the true church and the holy apostolic church and all those names. And God says those are all words of blasphemy. And so he was preaching the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus Christ on this earth and then ultimately when the Father comes to heaven and Jerusalem and resides in that very territory with the Lamb and Israel still there. And the heavenly Jerusalem on this earth with the twelve gates of Israel because all nations who come to God must come through Israel. And you cannot enter into the city unless you enter through one of the gates of Israel. And the plan was very simple and very clear from the beginning. The plan of God. There's nobody you know, that should be uh, confused if you read the entirety of the story from the beginning until the end. You can see the whole pattern just like when you go to the movie, go from the beginning, you see the whole movie and you can see. Now, if you go to the movie and then you look at the movie and your eyes are shut and, you're, and, and you are blind, obviously, and your ears are deaf, you know, and you can't hear, it's not going to do you any good reading the Bible. And so, this is what he was preaching, preaching the kingdom of God, the kingdom over Israel and over all the earth, and the rule of David and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets and all the saints and all the people of God, and all those who were grafted into the family of Israel, who are going to rule right there with Jesus Christ, along with him. And all the nations of the earth will come to Jerusalem, bow the knees, lick the dust of Jerusalem, as the prophet said. And they're going to acknowledge that he is the God of Israel, the God of the whole earth, and his religion, the religion he gave to Israel, is the only true religion. They're going to keep the Sabbath and the new moons, and the streets of tabernacles and all the other feasts and all the laws of Israel, the statutes and judgments and precepts which he gave to them. That's the kingdom of God that he was preaching. And obviously the Jews, who knew that very well, responded. And others that did not, obviously, even though they knew that that's true, they did not accept the interpretation of it. But this particular person that came on the scene, he is the one. The one that was to rule over Israel. And that was the only difference between them. And that's the reason why the many Jews who became members of the body of Christ, so to speak, all the rest were also members of the body of Christ, but they were in the flesh. And that didn't do them any good. They had to become spiritual Israelites. But the ones that responded and became spiritual Israelites had the spirit and accepted the, all the teachings of the, of the law and the prophets and believed they continued to come and listen to the Apostle Paul and they knew all about the kingdom and now they understood the meaning of it and the manifestation of it and the magnification of it as Paul was teaching them. That's exactly what he was doing. So he was preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Adon, the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, the Savior, the anointed Savior, Yeshua HaMashiach, with all confidence and no one forbidding him.
And in essence, you see that in the last two years that he had there, there was no great uh, persecution on the part of the Jewish community because many of them were being converted, were being called, eyes were being opened. And among the Gentiles who were listening to it, and among the household of Caesar also they were listening to it, because the word was spreading around since he appeared before Nero and gave a witness of that kingdom. And all that revolved around the God of Israel, the King of Israel, the Rock of Israel, the Savior of Israel, the kingdom that is coming to Israel, and is going to rule the entirety of the whole earth. And so you see the story constantly from beginning until the end is the story of Israel, the story of the church of Israel. And some were responding at the time and some were not. Just like in the days of the prophets. They had the Holy Spirit because they responded to the call of God. While the others, all the children of Israel, and they were all children of Israel, and all children of the wife, they did not respond. It's no different night, still the same. Let's continue now with the book of uh, Romans. We'll go to chapter 2. And here, when he writes to the Romans, uh, we just read that he was in Rome the last two years, and so churches were being established, that is, congregations. When we said churches, we should think about it. We're talking about congregations. The church is one, that's the Church of Israel, the Commonwealth of Israel, that is the Edah, the body of witnesses. And congregations of believers were added, of both Jew and Gentile, and they had problems, and so he's addressing it in this book. And so he's saying, in, uh, well, he's speaking to them specifically in chapter 2 about the good that they have and the bad that they have. And he's rebuking them for that. So he's dealing with them on a personal basis. He says, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judges, or who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. In other words, in chapter 1 he's speaking about all the evils that the Gentiles were committing against God, and they didn't know God. But once upon a time, he said they did know, like in the days of Noah and, I, and generations after that, Babylon knew a lot about God, and uh, also combined their knowledge with their own ignorance, with their own deceptions, just like the counterfeit church had done later on, which is a manifestation of the ancient Babylon, and basically, in chapter 1, Paul is admonishing and rebuking sharply you know, the, the non-Jewish community for their disobedience to the Torah of God, to the laws of God, to the teachings that he gave Moses, that he gave Israel, that to begin with he gave to Adam and Eve, and all those who served him, they walked in those laws. At this point, we're, just, we're talking mainly about moral laws, but they were all in the Torah that God gave finally to Israel in a codified form. And they were disobeying this Torah. And it is of this corruption and of these transgressions that Christ, when he came on the scene to his own people, he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Repent and be baptized. Start obeying the law that I gave to you, that I gave to Moses, that I gave to all of Israel. And that's why in Malachi he's saying the same. Remember the Torah of Moses, my servant, which I gave to all of Israel. And that same Torah he gave to the entirety of mankind. At uh, least major portions of it. And uh, Abraham, we, we read earlier, that was obeying the laws of God, the commandments, the statutes and judgments, you know, the commands of God. And Babylon knew an awful lot about those things, and that's why when historians were looking into the code of Hammurabi and then reading the, the teachings that God gave Israel, the, the Torah to Moses, they compared the two and they realized that there are many things which are the same. 
And they claim that Moses copied it from Hammurabi. In other words, Babylon, because of Noah, who was a righteous man in shame, and all those who came from him, they knew an awful lot about the teachings of God. And this is what Paul is talking about here also. They knew those things, and they have rejected that Torah of God. And yet he gave it to Israel, and yet many among, the, among Israel, and this particular Jewish people, they too were not obedient to the Torah as they should have been. And so Paul is admonishing them too. And he's saying in, uh, in verse 6 that God will render to each one according to his deeds and eternal life to those who by patient continuance in good, in good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. And how do you seek it? By obedience to the truth, obedience to the Torah, not disobedience. That's how you seek immortality. Nobody is going to be rebellious against God, against God and his Torah is going to have immortality. And so it says that when you see glory, honor, and immortality, that's in essence what you're doing. And that's exactly what, what uh, Jesus Christ told one of, uh, of, the, of the young Jews that came to him. And he said, Master, what must I do? Rabbi, what must I do to enter into life, to have immortality, to have glory and honor? Well, it says keep the commandments. That's how. This is the way. And when Christ says, I am the way, that's what he's talking about. When you obey my Torah, when my word abides in you, when my laws, when my statutes and ordinances and testimonies and commandments which I give to Israel, which is a tree of life, when you walk in this Torah, not say the law is done away with or the Torah is done away with, I'm just living by grace. It's when you walk through these commandments and obey them in their spirit, not just letter. And you cannot do it on your own. You need the Holy Spirit to help you in that direction. That's why the Spirit leads you to truth. What is truth? The Word of God is truth. The Word of God is His law, His Torah. That's why we read earlier that uh, in Psalm uh, 138, I believe in verse 2, where David was saying that God magnified His Word, that is His Torah, above His name. What is your name if you have no character? What is character? But what the Torah defines to be character, that is holy and righteous character. And when God told his people, Israel, be you holy, for I am holy, therefore, don't do this or do this. You see, in eating unclean food, you become unholy. In eating clean food, you become holy. And so forth. And all the other Torah statutes and judgments and precepts, this is what sanctifies us and make us holy. And that's exactly what Christ repeated in his last prayer to the Father. He said, sanctify them by your truth, your word, your Torah. Your commandments, your precepts, your statutes and judgments, your testimonies. That's what he's talking about, our truth. And that's how God sanctifies us. And to this very day, when the Jew prays, whenever he is about to, uh, to obey a command that God gave him, whichever it may be, he says, Blessed art thou, O God, King of the universe, that has sanctified us by your word, by your Torah, and commanded us to do this and that. This is what he's talking about here. So, that's what he's saying. You too, Jew. You know. You know the Torah. Uh, and you obey the Torah in the spirit now, not just in the, in, in the letter. And that's how you will receive glory, honor, and immortality. And he says, but to those who are self-seeking, disobedient to the law. You know, they live by the law of the flesh instead of the law of the spirit. And they do not obey the truth. The truth is not something you just believe, but you obey the truth. And the truth is the word of God, the Torah of God, from Genesis 
to revelation. That's what the Torah of God is all about. That's the entirety of it. And Jesus Christ and others oftentimes refer to the Torah, to the law, not only in terms of the five books of Moses, but in the Psalms, in the prophets. You see? As Christ himself said uh, when he spoke to his disciples, you read in the book of John, chapter 14, 15, he said, as it says in your word, as it says in their law, you know, they have uh, hated me without a cause, and so forth. That's the entirety of it. Anytime anything comes out of the mouth of God, that's a law, that's a Torah, that's a command, not a suggestion. That's what he's talking about. And those who do not obey the truth, the Torah, the teachings that God gave to his people, to Israel, by which he sanctified them, and through which he was going to be formed in them. And that's how Christ is formed in us and becomes the hope of glory. That's what the mystery is all about. When man becomes God, not by disobedience and becoming unholy and unrighteous, but by obedience to the commandments of God in the spirit, not only in the letter. And that's how he takes on, he puts on the mind of Christ, and Christ is being formed in him. And for that reason, that Christ will tell those people that will call him Lord, Lord, he says, I don't even know you because you are lawless. You see, I can't know you apart from my Torah, my teachings. He's not going to be close to people like that, who are wicked and unrighteous. And so he says, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, they're either obeying the law of the Spirit or the law of the flesh. And the law of God, the Torah of God, Paul made very plain, is spiritual. The law is spiritual and holy and righteous. That's what he's telling the Jewish community here, that now he's the Holy Spirit, the people he's dealing with. And the Jewish community at large, who is listening, but not all of them respond. And so he says in verse 29, those who are of that mind, of disobedience to the Torah, they'll have tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil. Now what is evil? Only the Torah can tell you. What is good? Only the Torah can tell you. Only the teachings of God from beginning until the end. And so he says, those who disobey the law, tribulation and anguish, on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first, and also of the Greek. You see, salvation is of the Jews. The Jews are accountable. The law is given to them. The oracles were committed to them, as they will say uh, very soon here in chapter 3. And so, they are the ones who are going to be first accountable for it, and then the ones who didn't know. But now all of them do know God is the ones he's dealing with, that God is calling, that he's, uh, you know, uh, listening to him. So he says to, so he's saying to both people who are now members of the body of Christ and others who are just listening, he says to the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good. And only the Torah can tell you what is good. That's why Christ said, don't think that I came to do away with the Torah, I came to magnify it. Torah and the prophets. And the magnification is is what people began began to call the New Testament. It's not New Testament magnification of the Torah. The New Testament is a marriage covenant, and they mix the two together. They get mixed up, and they apply to the entirety of the writings and to the one they call Old Testament, so they can get rid of it and do away with the entirety of the Torah. And then they return only a few of the, of the teachings of Christ uh, to begin with, not even all of them. Because one of his teachings is, don't think that I came to do away with the Torah. In other words, you better obey it. If you enter into life, keep the commandments. The only commandments that anybody ever knew at the time that he ever spoke about are the commandments that he gave to Moses. The 613 of them and all the others he gave through the prophets and he continued to give in the, in the, in the 
in the flesh, in person, and then through his disciples. That's what he's talking about. And so he says in verse 11, there is no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without the Torah will also perish without the Torah, whether they knew it or not. And as many have sinned in the Torah will be judged by the Torah. That's what Christ told his disciples. It is not me who is going to judge you, but my word will judge you in the last day, my Torah. And that's the way it is. For it's not the hearers of the Torah who are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the Torah will be justified. And Paul was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, champion at the time of the Torah of God. Not the one that did away with it and established a new religion and became the founder of it and called it Christianity. And many of us are going back into it, and many of us are still deceived by it, and many of us think, well, there are many things we don't need to do because the law is done away with. We are living by grace. That's how confused people are. And so he says in verse 14, For when Gentiles, that is the nations, you know, the olive branches were wild, who do not have the law, the Torah, by nature do the things in the law. They know you shouldn't be murdering and killing and all those things and adultery and and stealing, those are all teachings of the Torah, which God gave from the Garden of Eden, and then in a codified form to his people Israel. And it's by that that he made them holy and sanctified. You're not holy when you're disobedient to the Torah, or you have contempt for the Torah. You're not holy, you're an unholy person. You know, you have rebellion in your heart against the law of God. And it's not the hearers, but the doers of the law. That's why Christ said, you know, in magnifying the law, not only... Do not murder, but don't even think about it. Don't hate your brother, because if you do, you are already a murderer in your heart. You made the Torah so much more binding. That's the spirit of the law. Some people think, well, I don't steal, but they covet in their heart, and I don't murder, but they hate in their heart. And James said, you broke one of them, you broke the whole thing. You become disobedient to the Torah of God. And so that's what he says. For when the Gentiles who do not have the Torah by nature do the things in the Torah, this, although not having the Torah, are a Torah to themselves. All nations have laws, they have judges, they have police, they have prisons for that reason. Verse 15, and they show the work of the Torah written in their hearts. Many things people retained in spite of rebellion against God in certain other areas. And their conscience also bearing witness. And between themselves, their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. And in the day when Elohim will judge, that is, El Elyon, the chief deity, will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, who is another deity, and he's, uh, so far only there are two of them, but they are bringing many sons to glory, who will be more deities. And some people, you know, we always use the terminology, we're going to be God as God is God. If we're talking about the Father, we're not. Even Jesus Christ is never going to be as God is God. See, El Elyon means the chief deity, and you're not going to be chief deity. Only one is going to be and has been and will always be the chief deity. So you're not going to be as God is God. You're going to be a deity in the God family, but not as God is God. In other words, you're not going to be an El Elyon. Never will you be an El Elyon. Christ will never be the El Elyon. And that's why when Christ subdues the entirety of the whole earth for a thousand years, and the Father puts all nations under his foot, you know, his... His, uh, his foot, so to speak, and then he's going to turn the kingdom when the Father comes down, that is the chief deity, El Elyon, he's going to turn it to him, the reign, over the earth, and he's going to be subject to him. 
Because he'll never be El Elyon. He'll never be as God is God. So we should not really use that terminology, but understand what it means. Yes, we're going to be members of the God family, deities in his family, but not as God is God. In other words, we're not going to be El Elyon as El Elyon is. You know, there aren't many heads on the body, just one. And that's what it means. And the Father is the head of Christ. Christ will never be another head. I no two heads. He's under him. So he'll never be uh, like him, and we certainly are not going to be like him. We certainly are never going to be like Jesus Christ either, in the full sense of it. He'll always have the preeminence over us. He's our creator, and our God, and our husband, and our elder brother, and will always be over us. So, understand what it means on one hand, and on the other, we're going to be uh, spirit beings like he is, on the same level of the God family, just like the uh, father has a son, and the son is a human being just like he is, but the son will never be over his father. And that's, in essence, what, what we mean by that. And so, when we say we are going to be God as God is God, uh, we have to understand what we're talking about. And so in the day when Elohim will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, you know, the, the deity under him, according to my gospel, you know, the good news, and this is what you read there throughout Moses and the prophets too. It's not something new. And indeed, you are called a Jew and raised on the Torah, speaking to the converted brethren, and those who are listening who are not yet, and make your boast in God and know his will, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the Torah, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, and that was the commission of Israel, the commission of the church, the commission of the wife, and they will yet fulfill it. That's exactly what Paul is doing, being a Jew, a light to the nations. People forget that. But it is the apostles, children of Israel, all Jews, some Benjamites, but they were all the children of Israel. They were fulfilling, in essence, that, that commission to Israel, being a light to the nations. There is no other way to God but through Israel. And that's one way of it, and that's what Christ was saying. Salvation is of the Jew, meaning all of Israel. The spiritual Jew. And that's what's going to be in the future. That's why he could never, ever reject his people. You know, he'll just be contradicting himself and lying on top of that. As he swore to the fathers that it is through his nation, his people, that he is going to make the whole earth come to him and make them a light to the nations. And so people are so confused they don't realize what they are saying. And when you say God put down the Israel and picked up the church, that's what you are saying. God is a liar. And so in verse uh, 18, again, you know, he says about his own people, and you know his will, you know the will of God, you know the Torah and the prophets, and you approve the things that are excellent, and being instructed out of the law, and all the Pharisees did, even those who did not follow the, the teachings of Christ, all knew those things, they weren't ignorant of it, and that's why Christ said, because you know those things, you cannot say that I have no sin, since you do know those things and understand them. And since you obey, disobey them, therefore your sin remains with you. And so he says to his own people, and you are confident that you, you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and the truth in the Torah, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? And that's the con condemnation that God has against his own people. He gave them the Torah, he made them a light to the nations. And what have they done? Instead of that, they became blasphemy to God. They gave God a black eye. 
And yet God is going to to heal them and to cleanse them and to purge them and to circumcise their hearts, which he commanded them to do from Sinai, and they would not listen and bring them back and met them again, the light of all the nations of the earth and the mother of all mankind, so to speak. That's what heaven and Jerusalem, the mother of us all, is all about. That's symbolic of Jerusalem, Israel, the people, the nation, the wife of God, who are going to be the light of all the nations as they all come to Jerusalem, or the children of Israel, all represented and will be the teachers of humanity. And if you don't have the whole story all put together, you really don't understand what you're reading, as you're reading many of the statements of the disciples of Christ. And so he says, uh, because of your behavior, your conduct, in verse 24, the name of Elohim is blasphemed among the nations of the Gentiles, because of you as it is written. You know, and you read it in Ezekiel and other places. Where God says, you went up among all the nations of the earth and you blasphemed my name. By your behavior and conduct. Because people knew that you are the people of God. And yet God is not rejected them. He's going to bring them back. In verse 25 he tells them, for circumcision, that is spiritual one, is indeed profitable. That is, well, in, in this case he's speaking about the physical one first. Circumcision indeed is profitable. If you keep the Torah, and God commanded his people to keep the Torah, and they are going to keep the Torah when he brings them out of captivity, both in bondage to man and bondage to sin. And they're going to be circumcised in their heart and they will keep the Torah. And circumcision is commanded to Israel, physical and spiritual. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Because what was it that God commanded Abraham to do 25 years later? Because he was obedient to begin with and circumcised his heart, his heart now he sealed the covenant with a physical circumcision. And he said, I want you to, to uh, command all of your children forever to do the same. This is going to be my sign between you and me. And that's how he made his people Israel, his own nation, and he did not command the nations of the earth to come under this covenant, but he commanded his own people, his own church, his own wife, to be under this command until the end of times. As long as we are flesh and blood, to be circumcised in the flesh. All those who descended from the body of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, are to be circumcised, and you can see uh, in, in Ezekiel, where he, he made it very plain, Ezekiel 4.6, I believe, where he said, No, or 44, no man uncircumcised in the flesh or in the spiritual enter into my temple. And all Israelites who enter into his temple must be circumcised, both in the flesh and the spirit. In verse 26, therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteousness the righteous requirements of the Torah, not does not keep them, not says, well, the law is done away with, not says, well, I'm living by grace, but if an uncircumcised like Abraham keeps the Torah as Abraham did, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And that's the way God regarded Abraham. And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even, uh, that is, the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, that is, if he fulfills the Torah, judge you who with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the Torah speaking about the, the, the letter of the law uh, for he is not a Jew ultimately speaking he is not a Jew who is one outwardly nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh but he is a Jew who is one inwardly and you cannot be inwardly a Jew and spiritual Jew if you disobey the Torah and have contempt for the Torah. Because this is what sanctifies Israel. This is what sanctifies the church. This is what sanctifies the bride of Christ. That's why he died for her, to atone for all her sins, 
which is transgression of the Torah, and make her without spot and without blemish. And he said he's going to accomplish it. When he brings back all the children of Israel out of captivity and out of the grave, and washes and cleanses their sins and iniquities, and then he says, the sins and iniquities of Israel shall be searched and not be found, they go because he's going to atone for their sins and blot them out, and make them holy and sanctified, and they will be his wife, a bride without spot and without blemishes. And that's what he's speaking about later on, the Apostle Paul, and that's what Christ talked about. And yet the Gentiles, the unlearned, those who don't read the entirety of the story, they don't comprehend those statements when they read them. They don't understand of whom Paul is speaking, and what's the essence, and the emphasis that he's putting on, and what Christ did, and what the prophets did, and what Moses did. It is Israel and the ones grafted into the commonwealth of Israel, which is not the entirety of the earth, only the few, they will become the wife of God, and the rest will become the children, not in that category. Not the whole earth is going to be the wife of Christ. Only Israel will be, and the few grafted among them of the nations, and the rest will become the children of this marriage. And that's what he's telling them. And uh, verse 29, But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and, and, uh, and circumcision is that, of the heart, in the spirit, and the law is spiritual, and the law should be written in the heart, and the new covenant, where God says to his own people, Israel, not to the nations of the earth, he says, behold, the days will come when I will make a new covenant, new marriage covenant, that's what it is. You're not going to have several wives, one Gentile wife, one Israelite wife, Israel is going to be his wife, and the few grafted among them from the nations, and says, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, a new marriage covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Made it very plain. You can't spiritualize that away. And I will put my Torah in their hearts. And that's what he's talking about here. I'm going to make them spiritual Jews. And I'm going to reject them, throw them out, and put down Israel and pick up the church. You see the ignorance that is in the heart of men. That's what they're unlearned. It's all about. They don't need the whole story and they speak before they know it. That's what Solomon says. The person who speaks about a matter before he hears the whole matter is a fool. God commanded us to be wise, not fools. And so he says, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but of God. And then he continues. It's not chapter 3, just continuation of the thought. What advantage then has the Jew? In other words, there is an advantage to the Jew, but what is it? Or what is the profit of circumcision? Some people say, well, I don't need to be circumcised, because Christ said, or Paul said, circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But he said, but the keeping of the Torah. That's the emphasis that he was saying there. In other words, if you don't keep the Torah, of what profit it is. But he said, there is an advantage to the Jew, and there is a profit in circumcision. What is it? Verse 2, much in every way. Much not little, much, in every way. And how many believe this statement? Chiefly, because to them, to them, to the Jews, and the entirety of the house of Israel, as God brings them back, after all, he himself was not, uh, technically speaking, a Jew, he was a Benjamite, but of the house of Judah, of the kingdom of Judah. And the prophetess from Asher, you know, she was from Asher, she was not a Jewish uh, woman, yet, being in the Jewish community, she is known as a Jew. And so there are many Jews today who are not really Jews, but they're Benjamites or Ephraimites or, ben or uh, other tribes of Israel that became, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
absorbed or became, or, you know, were absorbed with the house of Israel, but, you know, only few of them, not many. And so it says much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God, the Torah. That's what he's talking about in Sinai when God he gave it to, to Israel. Well, now they're only Jews, but all the rest of Israel are in this category. For what if some did not believe? They didn't say all of them didn't believe. Some didn't believe. Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Let God be true and every man a liar. And there are many people who are liars. Unfortunately, there are religious people. And there are leaders. And there are many religions. And there are many sects. And there are many denominations. And there are many churches who are teaching lies. Oftentimes, you know, not because they are evil. They are sincere. They are good people. They are devout. But they are not learned. That's the problem. When you are not learned, you know, you just heard a small part of the combination of the safe, and you go pass it around, there's a whole combination. No, you're not telling the truth. You may not be, you know, evil and malicious and all that. But that's what he's talking about. He's not necessarily speaking about malicious people. People who are unlearned. And because they are unlearned, you know, like Peter said, you know, they wrestle with the scriptures. Uh, not only of Paul, but all the others. That is, the teachings of God to their own destruction. And so this is what he's talking about here. And throughout the whole chapter, he will continue to speak about the same matter. So, we have to understand it from the point of view of the Torah of God, of the Word of God, of the nation of Israel, of the Church of God, of the people of God. The way God told the story of his own church. And when people don't read the whole story, therefore, when they come here to the writings of Paul, they just don't get it. They don't understand it. They're totally mixed up. Many of in our midst are that way, of that category, and that's unfortunate. There's no need to be that way. Read the whole story from the beginning until the end. Then you will begin to understand every single word and statement. At least, greatly, you're going to understand it. And uh, comprehend it. What it really means. Not just what it says, but what it means. At this point, we're going to stop. And this is again Mordecai Joseph saying greetings to all of God's people. Until next time. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.